I love baking and it's important to me and I find great joy, but why I came to France and why I live is, is, is for Jesus. This is the Relentless Pursuit Podcast, where we hear stories from cross-cultural workers on what it's really like to be a missionary, the good, the bad, and the ugly. In this episode, we have a chance to sit down with Lindsay, who is a missionary serving in France. Now, France might not seem to be the type of place you'd normally encounter missionaries, but I think after listening to this conversation, you'll get a real glimpse as to why France is such an important place to still send people to work there in the gospel. Um, she's been there for quite a, quite a while, and she's become really enculturated and knowledgeable of the language and the people there. I think one thing that you can see from Lindsay's story is just how she has this incredible openness to look out and see, like, what is the Lord doing? Where are there opportunities? Where can I serve? Who are the relationships that the Lord is bringing into my life? And you can just really see how that is just such an active part of her ministry in just taking all the different opportunities that she can to share the gospel with the people around her. And that openness, I think, is probably just something that you see throughout her story. And so you're going to actually see a little bit of that in this opening introduction to Lindsay's story, where she talks a little bit about how it was that she got called to France. And so we're going to start with that today. So I was always interested in in French, the language, um, throughout high school. And so my dream was actually going to France on a trip. So when I was 19, I had saved up, saved up enough money and I had gone um, with two of, one gal who um, her and I were leaving from Oregon and then heading to France to visit a friend mm-hmm. who was um, doing her, um, I think, year abroad over in Lyon. And so uh, in, in 2005, I got to go for the very first time. And I had been to East Africa already. So the Lord, I think, was already working on the ideas of what is ministry, what is mission. Um, and my heart was more in Africa than France. France was just really the dream come true, finally get to go, travel everywhere, um, see the beautiful architecture, eat yummy food, try to speak the French yeah. that I learned in high school. And so when I got to Paris because um, we did Lyon, Nice, and Paris. Um, we were going through a number of churches, obviously, because they're, they're everywhere. Um, and I can't remember which one it was. It could have been the Notre Dame or it could have been some other one. Um, but going in and feeling how empty and cold it was uh, mm. and that the only people that were there were us, like us, tourists walking around it. And no one was sitting in the pews. Um, And it was very disturbing. And I was like, Mm. this is messed up because on every block, if they're all like this, like this is, this is kind of strange. Um, And so that was kind of like a little, a little seed in, in the back of my brain. And then we go down to Nice and we find out about this Calvary Chapel that's been around for a number of years. It's a healthy growing Mm. church. They could even consider it as like a mega church. And I get there and there's probably around 60 people. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> this is not a mega church. Um, yeah. And so immediately when, um, when I was in that church in Nice, there was something that the Lord was like, that there is a need here. Um, and, right. and it's, you can't see it from the exterior. You can't see it superficially because the French, are little coconuts and they're very hard and they're not going to let you in. But 
what when you do get in, you do see the need, it's tremendous. And so that was that was what prompted the idea of considering France, um, two thousand six and then two thousand seven. So. Wow. So what, what, where'd you go next? I mean, you must have like gone home with that idea and been a little bit like, oh, this is like kind of random and not even really necessarily the original purpose of you having gone to France, right? right? You were just kind of going yeah. there because you wanted to check it out, right? And vacation like everybody does wants to do in France and go to Nice mm -hmm. and all of that, right? So kind of where did that sort of process take you next? Well, the next thing that I considered was I, I, I'd like to go back for a longer period And so I ended up finding an organization that was doing a summer mission project. And so I went to Nice for six weeks. Uh, and that was mainly involved with students. And then there was obviously people in the different churches that we were helping. And that was, I think, good for me to just get a longer period with a focus of actual ministry to see how do the French actually respond. Um right two people coming and helping French believers even sometimes they're like, what are you doing here? We're fine. Leave us alone. Um, which they're, they're very like autonomous people. And, and they've, I think tried to make it through. Yeah. On their own for a long time. And then, um, I ended up deciding to go back on an even longer term. And I actually got a job with the French government of teaching in a high school. And so I was in, um, in the same kind of area down near Nice. And I got to um, take group, groups of senior students that needed to practice English in order to graduate. And I would take, um, take them aside and I get to practice speaking to them and them trying to speak back and trying to use present, perfect, or present future and past and, and put together mm -hmm. phrases and, and they didn't get a lot, of, a lot of opportunity to actually speak English. So it was... Um, exciting for them to have an American come in and, and help them facilitate that discussion. So, yeah, so I did that for 10 months. And then at that point, it was pretty clear, like, that was to see, okay, Lord, are you calling me to full-time ministry? That was a yes. Um, does France have a need? Yes. Okay, now how will I go back in, in a potential long-term way? And then mm -hmm. that was another process of four and a half years of getting prepared for that, finding an organization and, and so on. So, yeah. So when you shared your, your vision and kind of your experiences in France with people back home in, in your church and your friends and family, what was, what was their response to that? Um, well, when I initially got to the field, they, I had prepared them for long years of prayer Large, like a huge base of trust that had to get built in order to be even explain that you're a believer. Um, they wouldn't want to know. They wouldn't want to even know what that meant. And, and so they were kind of expecting this long haul, um, difficult ministry start. Um, and, and when I arrived in, in the Southern France, it was, it was, It was, it was not that. So there was a lot of people I think the Lord had prepared. People were super interested. I don't, I don't think I had planned for maybe France was evolving and there was more openness spiritually. And so they were kind of shocked because they're like, you had us like keep praying. You might not even be able to say you're a believer for years. And now they're asking you right away, what are you doing here? And you need to be clear with them because they don't like it when you fluff around and, and, and talk around and, and go around the bush. 
And so I was explaining to them that I was working with the organization um, and, and my belief background was why I was here. Oh, really? That's interesting. I don't know any youth that actually have faith. This is, and so they, they, they were opening up instead of closing down. Um, Mm -hmm. and so everyone was still surprised. I mean, I was expecting them to be surprised either way, but it was a good surprise to see God actually doing a lot more than maybe we expected in, in France at that time. So. But there wasn't necessarily questions about whether it was even worthwhile to go to France so from, your, from your friends and family. I grew up in, in Oregon. It's a very atheistic town. And so they they actually never had any issues with that, which initially I heard, yeah, well, you're going to raise your support to go to Africa in a in a blink of an eye, but good luck with France. And I, that was not the case. I was able to raise support sometimes even faster than than other ministry yeah. workers in other countries. So the place that I grew up in, I think was atheistic enough and unchurched enough for the believers of my sinning church were actually like, yeah. And they already saw you the need in, in Europe, which for me was wonderful. I didn't have to re-educate. There was some education that had to happen. Like we're talking about 2%, 0.7%. Like it's changing, but the percentage is low. The churches are empty. We're talking like non-practicing individuals, those who are, check in the box, I mean, they, they go for a baptism and then maybe a funeral. Um, and so there was a lot of awareness, at least with my support team, which was wonderful. So. Yeah, that's great. Mm. That's awesome. So, I, you know, I love your little line when you were first kind of starting out about how the French are little coconuts, right? Yes. But then you also talked about how in Southern France, when you first got there and you actually um, experienced a lot of openness and people are curious and asking you questions and, you know, even really positive about the fact that you have faith and that's what led you to France and all of that. So tell me a little bit more about that contrast of the coconuts versus, you know, some of the openness that you experienced. Um, well, it depends on the person, but in general, um, and this is also the region. So Southern France is a little bit more, they're a little bit more open, I would say than the North. Um, cause I have a lot of friends from the North and I'm not sure if it's just that German or that British influence, um, and then now I live in Grenoble, so I know the different potential uh, spiritual climates, even personality differences um, in in the different cities. But where I where I spent most of my time in the South, they they're very open because there's lots of people coming in and out of the city, and so it's very international. It's fairly cultivated. There's a Dell and IBM, and they're used to foreigners coming in. Which again, I had lived in another. French city that was a small 60,000 person town where they didn't even know any English. So if they saw an American, all they could say was like, how are you? And that was the end of it. So here there's people that speak better and, and, and even people that are kind and complimenting, complimenting me. So it was kind of a, it was, it was intriguing how different it was even for me because I had another French experience. It was a little bit more oppressive and depressing. Um, and here I was a little bit more encouraged by, Oh, you speak well. And Oh, interesting. You're a believer. What does that mean? Oh, well, I'm atheist. So that's cool. And, and just this immediate exchange where it, I mean, the coconut thing, it still takes time to get into the inner circles and that deeper level of trust. But even just that small talk that I assumed that they really did not like, at least in the South that they were, they were doing more of, which was kind of a nice, yeah, it was a, it was a nice surprise again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. 
when you say coconut, right? Like when you say that it takes a little bit deep, it takes a little bit longer to kind of get into that deeper level, right? Like what what kinds of things do you think make up that sort of hard shell, right? Is it like, you know, like an unwillingness to talk about religion or is it like cultural things where they just, you know, they kind of want to cling to what they believe in or is it like not being vulnerable just with their own emotions? What kinds of things do you think make it difficult for people to to be more open? Well, I think the main thing is just mistrust. Like the country, the soil is based on wars. And like it wasn't that long ago, you know, 60, 70 years ago, isn't that long ago when you think about it was being occupied by Germans. So I think, and that's obviously passed down by generations. And my sister came and said, why don't people look at each other? Why don't they smile? Because I don't know, but I'm guessing that they walk through the towns avoiding eye contact because who knows if you're with the resistance, who knows if you were on the good side, the bad side. Um, and so for me, that was a, a good enough reason to say, okay, maybe that's why, because I sometimes didn't even, even know. So there's an element of mistrust, which my husband, who's French, would totally agree with. And he says it often when he's trying to, to teach Americans about how to well adapt. And then the second thing that we would say is there's a suspicion naturally. So that goes in, that goes in line. Um, I don't trust you. And now I'm hesitant at your kindness your openness, and why do you want to know these very private things about me? Um, whereas that is something that they could have potentially only shared with close family, close family, and maybe two, two to three friends, because they really don't have large networks. Like I, as an American here in France, have a larger network than my husband, just because that's my personality, that's my culture. Um, and I have more friends, I have more close, deeper friendships um, than him. And that's again, a cultural thing. Um, and so I think those two main elements are probably going to be super important just because I mean, a friendship and, and sharing because is because there is trust or because there's an openness and not a hesitancy. Why do they want to know these things? Oh, they're going to, they're going to use this information against me. Oh, they're going to, they're going to start a rumor. They're going to say that I'm open, that I'm reading the Bible with Lindsay. I don't want her to, I don't want people to know that. So I think there's just that, that element of suspicion that still is, is present today. And, and it's, I think, just a part of culture. So. Yeah, that's so interesting. Cause when you were talking about like, you know, how people are super like friendly and, you know, they'll ask you questions and they'll be like, oh, you believe that I'm atheist. That's cool. You know, and they like have questions. It kind of reminded me a little bit of like how Japan is just and that mm -hmm. it's really easy to ha have those conversations. But it's really interesting to see that the sort of the cultural reasons and some of like the, the foundations for why it's like that or why it's hard to get past that are actually mm -hmm. very, very different. So it's kind of interesting to see how it might look a little bit similar on the surface, but when you go deeper, it's actually, yeah, it's very different. So yeah, that's really interesting. So, so from, oh, sorry, go ahead, Matt. Oh, I was just going to ask when you were there the first time on more of a short-term um, arrangement, you were working with young people. And so you had that inroad through English learning and, and, um, that process. And then when you came back, what, how did, how did you begin to explore what your new way of building relationships would be or how you would be able to build, um, inroads into the culture now that you're there full time? Um, initially it was a lot of 
prayer that the Lord would guide me to key people. Because again, like an American showing up, I'm with an organization, it doesn't look like a legitimate job. Um, my team leaders were older. They said that they kind of retired in France. That was easier to swallow. And so I really had to have like legitimacy of what is she doing here? Um, and so I presented myself to all the principals in the high school of the, of the big city that I lived in and said, you know, I'm a part of an organization, which a lot of French are all about, like be a part of an organization. That's, that's worthy of your time. So (laughs) that was acceptable. Um, because I was Anglophone and I was going to use my ability to speak English to help them, that was also acceptable. And a lot of Anglophones were doing English things to some extent in the city. And so um, I ended up presenting, writing letters. I really, I, I worked my hardest and and none of the principals actually ever called me back. And so I ended up meeting one boy who loved America, his name, oh, I won't say his name, but his name was a wonderful American name. You would have thought he was straight out of America. And he was in the church that I was a part of. And so he was someone who was open to the gospel, but really enjoyed learning about spirituality. And so mm-hmm. we started an English club with him and one of his friends. Um, and so really it only takes one person uh, because as soon as you get into their circle and they're like, Lindsay's normal. She's American. She speaks English. You want to come on Fridays and go to McDonald's and we can talk in English together. And so I did that for five years. Um, and the group became almost as big as sometimes 15 kids. And so I had the whole network of this. Um, it was a class that was doing graphic design, which I did in, in college. So I was like, oh, this is fun. This is this is my line of study as well. And so that was one main entrance into a large network of youth. And then they obviously multiply. So it's either, mm-hmm. oh, I want you to come meet my parents. Oh, I'd love for you to come to the open house to see my artwork. And, and, and so the connections, now that you've been validated by a French person, are numerous. Um, mm-hmm. At the church, I was working with the youth group, and there were a couple girls that were um, interested in getting to know me better. And I was hoping to disciple them at some point. I didn't, some of them weren't actually even believers at that time. Um, And so that's when a lot of the baking started there, just because the only interaction that I could have with them, because they they were also, they they had lived hard lives. I didn't know how to get into, into their little inner circle. And, and they thought, I think they saw a lot of foreigners come and go. They thought I was just going to leave again. So the fact that I was going to stay and I was investing in them was surprising. And so that's that's one of the areas where I started baking with these girls. And then it led to lots of other groups. But So those are the two main, those people, those key people that God brought yeah. into my life. Yeah. Well, you've, you've hinted at the probably something that's very interesting to people, this idea of baking. Can you talk more about how baking has played into your your ministry and your discipleship there? Yeah, so uh, initially it was it was a little bit of a surprise because I was expecting them being French individuals to teach me how to make macarons or chocolate mousse <laughs> or things like that. And, yeah. and I had told um, in the little baking video that Pioneers made that that was already kind of my expectation. Like, let's bake French things. I'm in France. This is this is really the the pastry chefness of the world. 
Um, and here they're like, no, I want to make cookies and cupcakes. And I, and I was like, okay, well, I can help with that. That's, that's, that's my country. Um, and so I started with, we had sleepovers and we had Bible studies and then we'd have big times in that. And that was what the mix was. And then, um, and then there were a couple of the girls that were like, oh, Lindsay does this. And it started happening during the week and then, um, and then weekly and then with other groups of, of gals. And, and so there was a lot of, um, interest because I think, well, and I think coming together in a kitchen is special in every country and in France, especially, um, with the, the cuisine and the pâtisserie, um, both of those are, I feel like hearts of, of their culture. And so, um, it was a very normal, I felt like progress into that direction. And, and then it obviously evolved, but. Wow. So like, what's like their favorite thing to learn to bake? I mean, cookies and cupcakes, it sounds so like normal. I know. Right. And that's, I think what's, um, what's great about the American style or Anglophone style baking is that it's, it's quite fast. Um, it can be done quickly. So there's, when you're thinking about like, you're making a pâte fouettée, which is the pastry puff, you're working the butter. It has to be in a controlled environment. You have to let it sit for 24 hours and then you work it again. Or the cream, you make a cream, you you separate it, then you add, then you incorporate, and then you put it in the fridge, and you wait four hours, and then you whip it. And so I think um, the fact that cookies and brownies and and carrot cake, I, I sell carrot cake all the time at the at the cafe I work at, and they love it. Um, and then the fact that they see it made and like I can do this at home. And so I think that's what they love is is the obviously the idea of doing it again and doing it at home and making it for others and be like, look at me, it's an American recipe and. I made it so. <laughs> That's yeah. so fun. Yeah. So you know, I know from like an American standpoint, like there's sort of this stereotype that French people don't like Americans, that they like look down on Americans, mm-hmm. they kind of like snub their nose at us, all that sort of stuff. You know, they like sneer because we call, you know, we have French fries and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever run into any of that, or like what's what's it actually like? Um, I'm, I'm encouraged to have an overall positive experience, um, with French people mm-hmm. having an uh, understanding of the language made a huge difference. Um, their language is so important to them and they've spent years of their childhood trying to master the language and it's difficult. So when you're showing any sort of effort, um, to, to say hi and to, and to speak and to communicate. And then obviously I'm at a different level where we can have deep discussions and debate about things. But even initially I had a lot of very positive responses just because I, I knew things about their culture. And then I, I knew enough about their, I knew a new, a number of words in their language. Um, and, and so I was able to get a lot of really positive feedback. Um, I mean, I'll have a couple situations where instead of saying yes I said yeah um which you know the French and in my dad's or my mom's age would have they correct you um because they like that proper correct precise French um but really a rudeness and and a disdain even my family that comes often I just teach them the basic things you know when you go into a store you try to find the owner you say bonjour and then you can go on looking at your things. And when you're done, you say goodbye and au revoir, merci. And, and there's this respect. We walked into their 
business and we walked out and, and things that my mom would never think about, you know, she'd be like, well, I just do what I want. It's like a TJ Maxx. I'm like, well, here there's a little bit different. So we, we need to respect that. And so, um, overall they've had, I think, positive experiences and that's my hope because I live here. Um, but I, I think I've been blessed by a lot of very open-minded or, or just kinder or, or me. I know the language helped having me being able to speak already was a, a huge plus. So. Yeah. And I think every, every, there's always uh, stereotypes that cultures yeah. have. And then most of the time we find that those are not universal. There might be yeah. some truth to it, but for the most part, those things are not really correct. I'm wondering when, when you would have these gatherings with, um, with people to bake and to have, um, sleepovers and spiritual conversations, was this something that they saw as kind of an afterthought or was there a real deep interest in having these kinds of conversations and, and Bible studies and things like that, that you discovered among the people that were coming to bake? So there were a number of them that were coming specifically to bake. Um, and so that was where I had brought in, in the book that I wrote, the discussion of the word, because I wasn't going to let them go um, without having my, my true passion. Like I love baking and it's important to me and I find great joy, but why I came to France and why I live is, is, is for Jesus. And so, um, some of them would strictly come because they wanted my recipes. Like the, the, the English club that I did for five years, they said, write a book, write a recipe book. And so I wrote the book with them in mind as atheists. How are they going to read the word um, when they've never read it before? How are they going to understand it? How are they going to learn about who God is or who Jesus is with something that is foreign to them? So there were some that were very um, straight up, you know, I'm here really for the recipes, but I respect you enough, Lindsay, that we'll do the discussion because they knew that that was the setup. I wasn't like, yeah, you can just take a picture of the right side. I gave them the book. There's both sides. They they take it home. Um, and then there were other groups, and this was wonderful, when when the guy was like, okay, you can eat the, the cheesecake without me, but wait for me for the discussion. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, okay, here's, there's some, there's some open hearts. There's some, there's spiritually searching people. Um, and it was quite intriguing to see, yeah, I already talked to some girl that, that she shared with me about her faith. And then another guy was like, yeah, my brother already gave me a Bible and just feeling like, okay, this was just another step, 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 stone, stepping stone on this person's spiritual walk. And so, um, and that's where I realized that mattered. It mattered to them. They were coming for the spiritual element. But I couldn't say that every group was 100%. And it was half and half, and that was fine. But I wanted real answers, and I wanted people to be honest at least. So So what are some of the obstacles or the common threads of debate or questioning or – you know, things that, that you feel like you were coming back to in these conversations with people that were unique to maybe the French community or to the people that you were meeting there? Um, I think some of them are related to just the Catholic background. So it's a very, it's a very tangible religion. So there's a lot of smelling and hearing and seeing and being. And so the, the cathedrals are built with this awe factor to sit in them and to lift your head above. And so I'm, I'm talking to these people that would never really want to walk into a church 
And we've gone through the whole discussion with six weeks of discussion and it has nothing to do with sitting in a building. Mm-hmm. And, and the last passage is on Psalm 40 and we're talking about what does it actually mean to trust Jesus with our lives? And they're like, well, I've never been, I've never went to church. I've never sat in a church. I've never gone into a cathedral. I've never done a mass. And I'm like, I'm not talking about that. And it was so hard for them to differentiate stepping into a building that represented a religious element of atmosphere and blessing and and connection with God. And obviously I believe that the word was alive and active. And so what we were reading was, was life that was going to, that was potential for, for this person to accept. And so a lot of that has consistently been um, an issue just well, I don't, I don't do this and I don't do that. And so obviously grace is already complicated for believers. So now there's an element of, of atheistic or, or just even postmodern individuals thinking, well, grace is just strange anyways. Like I, I don't earn it. I didn't do enough. I'm, or I'm fine. That's, that would be the other element. I don't need a savior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that means I'm not going to recognize my sinful state because I don't have one because this is life and we just live it to the fullest and I do what I want each day. And then tomorrow, well, we'll see if we have tomorrow. And and so that could be another huge stumbling block. But I think those are the two main ones that I've seen. Yeah. Do you feel like there's like any sense that people want to like talk about spiritual things or have like that sort of deeper connection, just kind of like on sort of even maybe kind of like a general or cultural level? Like, is there any sort of desire that you see in that, especially in like young people? Mm-hmm. Um, so the young people that I interacted with just with a lot of my baking, and then even now I go to Lyon, which is a pretty large city, not far from me. And when I do the, the baking classes, sometimes people aren't fully aware of what it is. And so they come in knowing it's a baking class and then they weren't completely prepped that there was a discussion. And so they sit down for the discussion and it goes well because the questions are open-ended. There's no um, closed directive things that make someone who doesn't believe feel out of place. And they actually quite enjoy, oh, that was, I don't ever discuss these things. This is so intriguing purpose of life and why am I here? And, and so that actually prompts a lot of just spiritual gears to think about and be like, oh, maybe I'll come back next time because I do the monthly at the time. And so um, I've seen that be a wonderful opportunity just to be like, there are places where these questions are being discussed. And, and honestly, with the youth, I'm getting concerned because there aren't. And I mean, obviously, the church, we're doing our best with the churches that exist to, to be out there and to connect with people. But they're, they're not, I mean, a lot of them are unemployed. We're having issues with suicide and depression. So, and I would assume that for the States as well, but they like, they have questions, obviously they're not getting answered if they're in these dark places. So, um, so I do believe that they're open to them and it's really a question of with whom. So whether it's spiritual things like a cult which is very common here. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be something. So you go to a little tarot card reader because you just really want to know your future because you don't have peace, or um, you go to your yoga class because you need to find that inner zen. Um, I feel like the younger generation is is showing that they are searching just by what they're doing as activities or groups they're being a part of. So, yeah. That's so interesting. So, are cults or like occult things? They're mm-hmm. like really big in France. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I can't remember when it was when we read the statistics, but back in like 2010, the number of doctors and the number of occult practices were surprisingly, the number of them that existed in practice in France were were close to the same number. Oh my gosh, so yeah. Just, just thinking, and I have co-workers that, yeah, I know a lot of people that touch a lot of dark elements of the world and you're just thinking, okay, there are other solutions. But this is obviously because their soul is in need of something greater than them and and this might be the only interaction they had with that one person or someone introducing them to this or or just that experimental yeah, I don't know, but it it's 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 present in France. So Yeah. Do you have any stories of some of the people you've connected with that either have come to faith or you're seeing progress in terms of their spiritual interest. Um, I'm interested in hearing maybe some mm. of the people and what they're like and, and what the relationships are like with them. Yeah. Um, well, we had one there. It was, uh, it was two girls. So the girls were actually foreign exchange students, which was awesome from South America. And then um, one of the gals brought her boyfriend. And so he was, I think a little hesitant initially about what it was all about. And he was just really coming, I think, to spend time with his girlfriend because I didn't have And the boyfriend to... was French? They're all, they were all actually foreigners. Yeah, they were all foreigners. Yeah. And so this was a situation where they were here for a year or two and one of them was a believer and the other two were just in great spiritual search. Um, and so he was, yeah, he was on a path of, I loved his answers. I loved his honesty. Um, yeah, he at the end of the six weeks, he didn't want it to, to end, but they had to go back, I think, to, to the country that or their school year had ended. Um, and so he obviously was keeping the book, and then he ended up, we ended up getting him a, a Spanish Bible for him. Um, but that was one of the most, I think, promising situations where he was just really, I don't know, he had an open heart. He was listening and participating every single discussion. Um, and then obviously it was a guy that wasn't, I couldn't do a, a close discipleship or anything with him. Um, but that was one situation. And then, um, and then there were two other girls that were some of my students, my, my French girls, um, that were part of the English club for the first five years that I was doing it. And, um, and one of them, we did the whole thing and, and she just, I mean, this is the hard thing. This is such a long path for believers or for French to even come to Christ. And so they were on like a, I have, I have no interest or openness, but I'll say open. Um, and now I'm listening and I'm engaging in this discussion. And then potentially maybe this has actual worth. Maybe this is something I could consider. Um, and so I always said that this was like spiritual motors that just got so dusted off that they could potentially start turning. Um, and so that was one, her name's Lily. And, and so we still stay in touch here and there. And she'd gone through some high, high times and low times and wanted to continue after the book, um, to do more discussions and then to do, well, do a recipe and do a deep discussion. And so even for her to, to have that desire afterwards was important for me just to see like, okay, this was important to you. This mattered to actually discuss these things. And you were, you're willing to go another step and to continue discussing things about who you are in life and existence and, and what your purpose is. Um, so I haven't seen someone come to Christ, which would be 
just a wonderful situation through this book. Um, mm. So I'm still waiting to see who God will bring. Yeah. Are you still doing those baking classes and those like six week long studies with people right now? Yeah. So what we're hoping I'm because I, I moved cities. And so because it's all based on a network, the past couple of years, I've been able to go to the Lyon cafe that they had, which was wonderful outlet. And so I'm reconnecting, trying to see if we can start some classes over there because I had a great group of young students, but also just different. Yeah, a variety. And then here I have a number of um, girls that I know through church. And a lot of the girls that come in church, you're not really sure what they believe and where they're at. And so, um, and so both of them are interested in starting. So hopefully that will start up in the next couple of weeks. So they're excited. We just have to find a time when they're both free on a weekend. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there's a stereotype of, you know, France being a comfortable place to live. And, and you may even you know, even the question about whether it's really missions to serve in, in a place like that. Um, what are some of the frustrations or things that maybe people in other parts of the world wouldn't consider that you have to deal with in, in your daily life there? Hmm. Um, yeah, we could, I mean, we could say definitely the physical conditions would be similar to where we've grown up. So we have running water and, and electricity, um, trying to think, I mean, obviously the huge and biggest difference is the relational differences and then the spiritual differences. And so it's difficult to explain because it, you have to be here because there, there is a spiritual oppression and it's, you could be in the North of France and the South of France and, and other, and I would say that where I used to live is more spiritually open than where I currently live. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I choose like eating once a day or being in deep spiritual oppression, which one would be worse? Cause really it's pretty awful. Um, so tram, what are some of the ways that you notice that? Like how, when you say oppression, people, like, people fighting some... in the street, people okay. getting out of their cars and yelling at each other in the middle of an intersection because he bumped the other one, um, trams, discussions, fights all the time post office, people constantly grumbling and getting angry, yelling at this person. Um, just a lot of anger and unrest just in everyday people, which hmm. you'd be like, oh, this would be more in like those high intense war kind of cities, countries, wherever, whereas this is just kind of happening everywhere. And, and as long as I've been in France, it's always been this kind of intense, angry not everywhere, because I'm not going to say everywhere I walk, I'm like, oh, wow, they're screaming at each other. But it's just a little bit more visible, a little bit more acceptable to get into altercations and um, and to get frustrated and to get angry and, and to yell at someone. Or, I mean, I work at a cafe, so I welcome a clientele all the time. And the disagreements that I've heard and the things that I've seen, I'm like, there, there's, there's a visible unrest. There's a visible lack of peace. There's a visible... Um, yeah, an, an oppression. I mean, the it's it's hard to compare. I mean, you have people in the states where they're a little bit more joyful and they have a lighterness to them, and you you notice that. Mm-hmm. Well, when you remove the joy and you remove that lightness, you have a lot of heavy all the time. So mm-hmm. with the people around you, there's more of this heavy, depressing, criticizing. Look at the world around us. Look at this. I mean, complaining is 
is like uh, is 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 one of their biggest gifts. <laughs> They're really good at it, and so it's a constant. Okay, did you see this? Did you hear that? Did you did she say that? Did the, and it and that's just what you do. So overall, like I'm a fairly normal person, but sensitive wise, like it's just a constant weight. So I would say that would be one of the biggest differences um, that impacts pretty much every element of of your life because who you're going to call on the phone to fix this, who you're going to go and buy buy your milk from. Um, just, yeah, just constant. I'm not surprised mm. anymore, but the things I've seen and heard and watched, it's just, that's yeah. just life. But yeah. So if you were talking to someone who's considering whether God is calling them to work in France or in maybe another country in Western Europe, what are some of the things that you feel like people can do to prepare themselves or to identify, is this, you know, is my heart prepared for this? Am I able to kind of sustain in an environment where there's not a lot of spiritual interest um, mm. or where there is like this oppressive environment that you're describing. Um, how, how would you encourage someone to prepare their heart for that? Um, I think a tangible response would be coming and doing like a venture or a one year um, stint because I was so thankful that I had been in France a year previous and then, or not previous five years before I came finally. Um, but that was extremely helpful because I got to see all of the cycles of the honeymoon stage. I love France. Oh, it's wonderful. Everyone's so amazing. Oh, maybe they're not all amazing. Oh, and then they do that. And then they say that, and then you just get used to the, the wholeness of the culture. Um, being in the country is, is just, is helpful because it will minimize shock when you choose to come back. Um, the other thing that I did was being biblically prepared. Like I, I did Bible studies beforehand or even some sort of institute. Um, Western Europe is extremely educated. Even the youth, I mean, whether they're going into the cult or they, or they love yoga or they don't believe in anything, they're very educated. They know a lot of stuff about a lot of, a lot of things. So there we have it. And, and so the more that we can be educated about the word of God, um, but then also culturally educated, I think would, would help a ton. Um, and then obviously being extremely grounded in, in Christ. (laughs) Um, I mean, that goes with your call when, when times get rough, you question, why did I come here? Um, and that's what your call is for. That's what your identity in crisis for. That's what stabilizes you and keeps you going and keeps pushing forward when you feel like you're just a little tiny flame in this really dark room. Um, so I think those three are already a good, a good start. Yeah. What, what do you think, what kind of specific things have encouraged you during those times when you're feeling really small, like a tiny flame in a dark room and, and discouraged? I think going back to the simple things that I love about France, um, going to get a, a croissant or a pain au chocolat or um, going to a beautifully designed building, um, being able to travel, going back to the basics of, of just living, I think. Because sometimes as as ministry workers, we sit in the spiritual, heavy thinking all the time because that's 
what we're doing. <laughs> we're constantly strategizing how do we reach these people that are not interested, that don't care. And so if we stay in that forever, it gets too heavy, um, especially if there aren't maybe a lot of little, more little flames in your dark room or, or maybe just little glints of hope of, oh, this person is actually interested in, or this person said, Linz, can I do a Bible study with you? And I thought she was making fun of me, but she was actually serious. And so going back to the basics of life of having that latte and that croissant and enjoying the little tiny streets and the architecture that doesn't look anything like the States um, and just being thankful for the the physical elements of where you live um, allows you or allows me to detach from sometimes the extremely heavy spiritual burden that we carry coming into on the field um, that that all the tourists love. I mean, that's why the people keep coming back to France is they don't look at the spiritual and they're like, oh, wow, this is such a dark, angry place. Or not, I'm not going to say that. Uh, this is a spiritually heavier area. They're not going to recognize that. They're just going to be like, oh, it's beautiful and I ate really good food. Well, sometimes that's where you have to go. You'd be like, you know what? There's wonderful food here. The people, they're extremely lost, but go to go to the things that they can do well. And that, I think, allows to for you to enjoy and to sustain yourself in in the country. So. Right. And in every culture, there are things, even in dark places, mm-hmm. where it, where there are things we can learn from them, you know, in terms of lifestyle or pace or, um, or like cuisine or, you know, other cultural things that maybe have been embedded in their, in their culture for, for centuries that we can learn from even in spite of those, those areas of darkness. Yeah. The Palo Chocolat sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> That would be definitely yeah, such a good pickup. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, um, Lindsay, for joining us here. We have a few quick fire questions I want to run by so we kind of get a sense of what your your personality is like here. Would you say you are a coffee or a tea person? So coffee, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about early bird or night owl? Uh, night owl. Yeah. Winter spring summer or fall mm, that's a hard one maybe fall fall winter i like summer. fall and winter yeah but i love sun so yeah. we'll say fall <laughs> if you're on a flight are you looking for the window seat or the aisle seat i like the window seat yeah dog or cat Oh, we're we're not really either, but we had two cats and I like them more than our dog. So I'll say cats. (laughs) (laughs) Now this one is specifically relevant to where you're at. What is your favorite local dish? Oh, that's hard. Oh boy. Hmm. So where the region that I'm living in right now, my mother-in-law makes a, a gratin dauphinois. And it's, it, I think the, the translation is just scalloped potatoes, but it's with like um, a creamy cheese sauce that has like a little bit of nutmeg in it. And oh, wow. she makes Ooh. it with sweet potatoes. Well, she makes it mixed with potatoes and sweet potatoes, but she switches it up a little bit. And for and that's the first thing that came to mind. So it's very traditional to this area because it's yeah. kind of like when it's really cold, it's like that. Put on that fat food kind of thing. Yep. Um, and, and it's delicious. It's so sweet good. potatoes and regular potatoes and then some nutmeg. Well, a little touch of nutmeg, little not too much. And then yeah. obviously the creamy cheese sauce. Yeah. Right. So with, right. with garlic. She loves garlic. So yeah. there's always garlic, which is good. It works yeah. well. It does nice. sound really you cook, good. Do you cook a lot of French food at home? 
Yeah, we cook a mix. I mean, I like Thai food and Mexican, and then I make quiches, and I've made all sorts of little roti, like all of those roast things that the Sunday dinners they would have here. So, yeah, yeah. so we make a mix of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there a song on repeat on your iPod or iPhone? Um, let's see. The one, what is the name? It's on, I just listened to, to YouTube. It's Carrie um, Job's. No other name. I think it's that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no other name. And then Heart of Worship. It's like an extension. But yeah, yeah. What is the strangest tradition that you've you've witnessed there in your time? Hmm. Strangest tradition. Well, I mean, if I yeah, I think saying it would be kind of random. So the sixth of January with Epiphany. Uh-huh. You you cut up like this fluffy pastry puff cake thing, and there's like a giant like porce. They're not a giant. There's like a like a chunk of porcelain doll mm-hmm. in a slice, and you have to be careful not to break your tooth. But if you get it, then you're the king or you're the queen, and you get to wear the hat. So it's not super strange, but I feel like yeah. saying it, putting a, a, like a piece of porcelain in in a cake, a yeah. food that you plan on eating. Yeah, and then you have to be careful that you don't break your tooth on it. Um, but they're very exci- yeah. It's yeah. something you do with your neighbors and anyone in the area for like the whole month. So it's even though it's the sixth of January, you yeah. But you're cautiously going. eating that piece of cake. Oh yeah, or usually the kids they find it first. I'm like, I yeah. have it. I'm the king. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they don't break their tooth, but yeah. others who forget just That's need to funny. be careful. And then you put a, a hat on. What kind of hat? Yeah, it's a crown. I mean, it's yeah. the crown. So every every these cakes come with the crown. So oh, um, I see. And so everyone is usually the kid goes under the table and chooses. Okay, this slice goes to this person because you can't you can't look at the slices ahead of time. So yeah. everyone starts eating their slice, and the one who has the little little tiny person in porcelain. Uh, means that they're the king or the queen because it's king's <laughs> day like the war when all the kings came to visit jesus this yes. is the day we're celebrating except it'd be lovely to actually talk about that but we usually don't but anyway so they put on their crown and there we go yeah and they're the king yeah <laughs> have you had any <laughs> funny language mishaps i mean I, oh, i'm sure you yes. have any, anyone in yeah. particular you can think of uh, I don't think they're probably appropriate for podcasts. I yeah. usually make really big errors, so I'm not going to say yeah. any of those. But <laughs> oh boy, yeah, I'm trying to find a reasonable one. Yeah, there's just so many. Yeah. Um. Well, there's there's a very slight difference between mush and mush. One means ugly, and one means fly. Uh-huh. And so I ended up offending a whole group of youth gr- youth group girls, telling them that I needed to leave the table because it's full of ugly people, oh. which was not what I wanted to say. I just wanted to say there's too many flies in the area, and I'm really annoyed. And they all looked at me like, oh, and I and I realized right away that I said the wrong one, yeah. and so I caught myself. <laughs> yeah, and they still like me, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a talent you wish you had? Uh, I've always wanted to fly. You mean like an airplane or like with oh, actual I'm wings? Oh, I'm in the air. I wasn't sure oh, what kind of talent. Yeah. I mean, it would be a superhero <laughs> talent. Come on, yeah. That's a good one. I know, but just fly <laughs> yeah. by myself. I don't need an airplane. Just fly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. What did you want to be when you were a kid? Um, oh, wow. I'm, I was very realistic when I was a child, so it was probably something very similar to what I did. Um... Oh, I did want to be a writer. 
Yeah. I did want to be a writer when I was probably 13 or 14. So that's yeah. still a good one. Cool. Nice. Well, thanks so much for taking the time with us, Lindsay, and um, sharing about what life is like and ministry is like in France. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. It was a pleasure. So be sure not to miss the bonus material that we have. You may have noticed that Lindsay made a few references to her husband, who is French, in this episode. And so we got a chance to talk to Lindsay a little bit about their story, how they ended up getting together, what their engagement like was like, and what their marriage has been like so far for the last three years. So check out in our show notes our bonus material to find out more about that from Lindsay. I think it was so great how we got to take a little bit of a deep dive into French culture and French, like just the way that they think and almost sort of like their philosophy of like life that we got to hear a little bit about. And I feel like that was just so insightful of um, Lindsay just to be able to share how that intersects with how she connects with people, how she builds relationships and how ultimately she's able to share the gospel in a way that's not just like Bible pounding, but is really meeting people where they're at. Right. I mean, it it does show that every culture, and as we've discovered from the different people that we've talked to on this podcast, every culture has its inroads and opportunities for the gospel. Every culture has a need, um, and and it might be very different from one culture to the other, from cultures that apparently are more secular to some that may be more spiritually oriented. But as we heard from Lindsay, even within the French culture, there is this ongoing fascination with spiritual things, whether it be in the occult or in other spiritual practices, that there's there's an interest in that. And I think God has put that in every culture um, for people to seek him out and to find him. And so it's great to hear how Lindsay is intentionally discerning that and praying about that and finding ways um, of communicating that resonate with the French people. Um, yeah. And that that comes from years of experience, learning the language, learning the culture, and gaining the respect that that you need to have before you can enter into those conversations. Be sure to check out our show notes because in there you'll see links to a really special video that we did with Lindsay. It's called "Starting from Scratch," and it shows her interacting with her friends and neighbors there in France as they both study the Word of God and do some baking. And what you'll notice in that video is really how well Lindsay does in her cultural acquisition and her language acquisition. It's really difficult to tell that she is an American in that video because her language is so good. She speaks French so good. So be sure, so be sure to check that out. And also um, want to encourage you to check out an article on why missions is still relevant in Europe and particularly in places like France. Um, why there are still unreached people there and why we should still be going there to take the gospel. Along with a lot of other resources that we want you to check out, be sure to go to our show notes, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for following us on this episode of the Relentless Pursuit podcast. Our goal is to make missions accessible, to show that it's not just reserved for elite super-Christians. If you want to be involved, just go to pioneers.org start and answer a few questions. We have a team who would love to help you discern your calling and what your next steps might be. At Pioneers, we love to partner with local churches and send teams to people groups with little or no access to the gospel. Keep up with what God is doing by following us on Instagram, Facebook, X, and YouTube, all at Pioneers USA, one word, or visit pioneers.org. Thanks for listening.